I want to ask you, how near is God to you? How near is He? How, how near is He in your life? You say, well, I, I want to be closer to God. I want to be closer to Christ. I want to be closer to Him. The Christmas message, I want us to step back from it. I want us to step back from the nativity. This is rejoice, the Lord is near. And I, I was asked the question, as I said earlier this week, are you ready for Christmas? And I kind of like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come back, but I've not bought my gifts yet. Right? Um, I, I, I'm expecting the Lord to return anytime, honestly. I am. Are you? How near is He? Matter of fact, I think if, if, if we would actually answer this question and, and really had an awareness of how near He is, it would clear up a lot of things in our lives. I'm thinking a lot of things. Would, a lot of things could clear up in our world if we lived with the awareness of Christ being near. There was a, a story of a, of a family who was expecting a, a child. They were expecting a child. And, and they were preparing their little six-year-old to, for the new arrival. And uh, they, you know, it was, a, it was a big deal. And, they, and it is a big deal. They were making a big deal about it. And this, this child was so excited. He would go to school every day. He was in the first grade. He'd go to school every day. And he would tell the teacher, you know, I can't wait for, I can't wait for the arrival of my new baby brother or sister. And so um, finally, finally one day, the mom says, here, I want you to just, just you know, feel here the, the, the baby kicking. And the child felt her stomach and he felt the baby kicking and and uh, he got real quiet he was very impressed though but he, he got very very quiet and, and got introspective with with the whole thing he goes to school for the next week and the teacher noticed that he said no words about the arrival of this child so she kind of got she got concerned about this and so she draws him to the to her desk, and she says, "Tell me something." She said, "Are, are you are you excited about uh, about the coming of the baby?" He said, uh, "No." He said, "Mommy ate it." <laughs> um, there's nothing like being prepared, is there? And truth and knowledge helps us to be prepared. How prepared are you? How prepared are you for the coming of Christ? Do, do you know Him personally? Now, that's not a hard question. It's not a question if you've been baptized. It's not a question, are you a member of a church? It's a question, do you know Him personally? Is, is He near and dear in your heart? Have you trusted Him to such a place that you know He is always near? That you can sing that song, He is peace, He is my peace, wonderful peace. 
the nativity story, the story that surrounds the nativity is, is, is fascinating. It's fascinating in a, in a few ways. In, in a lot of ways it's fascinating. But it's fascinating that the nativity, the nativity story, and I, notice I say it's, I call it a story, but it's actually a narrative. The nativity narrative that we find in Matthew and Luke particularly, but all the Gospels, shows the nearness of God. And you say, well, I know you keep talking about the nearness of God, but there are times that I don't sense God's nearness in my life. I mean, there's times that you will not sense God's nearness. Most people relegate their faith based on their feelings. We have a whole culture that says, in secularism, that says God's not near. That, that he's, uh, he's not near. If, if, if God, like we say, there's a God who's near if, if, and he's good and he's holy and he's all-powerful, then there wouldn't be all this mess around us in a world around us of suffering and sorrow and all this. There wouldn't be this if God were near. And so people live like God is not near. What happens? How do you live when you live like God is not near? Well, you live out of sight, out of mind. You live for yourself. You do whatever you want to do. You, you, you become the center point of your life. It's about you being happy. It's about, about all those things that relate to you. And there's no favorite subject that I have more than me. Neither do you. We, we have an investment in it. And yet when we look at the nearness of God, the whole, the whole Christmas narrative is about, is that God is not out there. God is not far removed. God is, is not just kind of off in oblivion, just kind of let this clockwork began to work and move and just kind of taking his hands off of it. No, the Christmas narrative is way more personal. So we have something to intellectually reckon with because if you really, and you're a thinking person, and you are, when you look at, the, when you look at those narratives in Matthew and Luke particularly, which is where we're going to look at today, when you look at those narratives, you find that God is very, very up close and personal. And that's the, that is the story of Christmas. That God's not far away. That He's not far away. That He actually shows up in remote places and in obscure places. And to ordinary people. And that's the story when you back off and look at the, at the narrative of the Gospels. This history of how God became man. And comes to where we are. You say, well that's good Greg. I mean it's good that he came 2,000 years ago. But what about my life now? Well, there's an answer for that too. And it's more than just how you feel. 
Because when you get your theology straight, when we get our doctrine straight about Christ, who He is, why He came, and the whole purpose of all of that, and the nearness of God, then all of a sudden it changes the lens by which we look at life and the way that you look at the successes in your life, the way that you look at your failures, the way that you look at life in general. That's the story of Christmas. I mean, Jesus came and literally rocked the world. So much so, so much so, that it changed the day of worship, and so much so that a calendar began to count. They count began to count time of after his birth. Now that's remarkable. When you think of human history, that is remarkable that there was one ordinary human life that had such a profound effect on all of human history. That's just mind-boggling. And he didn't travel too far from where he was born. You know? He, he didn't write a, any book, but there's been more books written about him. And the reality of this narrative is that the Lord is near. And what happened? Well, it was a conspiracy of love. That's all. It was a conspiracy of love. And Jesus comes to... to to steal your heart. Huh. He comes to, to invade your space and steal your very heart and your life. And redeem it back to the creator who created you. That's a story of great love. It becomes a rescue then. It's a great rescue mission. That he comes to take a heart that is that is, has been exiled into sin and darkness and death and loneliness, and we know the longing in our heart that will, how life we want life to be and how we want it to be different and how we wish we were different and how we wish that the circumstances were different and how that. And Jesus comes and makes things new by making us new. Now, I want you to, to, to look at this because the first, the first narrative that we see in, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll just let the Scripture read it or speak for itself. I want you to hear this. It was at the time that the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census when taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, that's important. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to the firstborn child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And then the scene changes. You go to the obscure place on a Judean hillside and there with shepherds who are watching over their flock. They were just doing their job. They wasn't expecting 
anything to happen at church. They were just doing their work. The night the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, they were guarding their flocks by night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't, Do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news and that with great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped in snugly in strips of clothes, lying in the manger. Suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to, to each other, I believe we ought to go to Bethlehem. Well, they didn't say it exactly like that. But you get the idea. Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the babe lying in the manger. And after seeing him, him the shepherds told, uh, they told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. Also, who, uh, the shepherds, uh, those who heard the story, were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, thought about them often. Shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just like the angel had told them. Now, you get the, you get the picture. Well, you know the story. You know the narrative. This is said in history, though. Do you notice that? Matthew says that, that, and if you go to chapter 1, he gives all this ancestral lineage of David, of Joseph, and, and Jesus being born in the lineage of a king. And they had to go to Bethlehem, which was the place for Joseph's family to go. And, 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 and now they're on this Judean hillside, and they're watching, they're just hearing the bleeding of sheep, blah, you know, all night. That was their songs, normally. It was the bleeding, the bleeding of sheep. Ah, did you hear that one? Ah, yeah, they probably, they had them named. Yeah, that one was, you know, whatever his name of the flock. And then suddenly, the, now you know a big deal, it's a big deal when angels appear in the Bible. You don't find that too often, but they appear. And every time that the angels appear, what you find is the radiance of God in the light of God and the glory of God. Shown all about them. I mean, they were terrified. They ought to have been terrified. I mean, it's the glory of God. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like only a part of the way turned up kind of glory. I mean, if, if the radiance of the fullness of God's glory, I mean, it would have struck them dead. 
But, you know, they were there and, and they had their attention by this time. I'm sure they were glad that, you know, somebody said, you know, uh, should we call in sick to work tonight? I guess they were glad they went to work that night. And can you imagine, can you imagine being, and we don't have this story, and I don't know if this is the backside of the story, but can you imagine the backside of the story is one of the shepherds saying, and I miss that? Yeah. Right, listen, how big is this? This is huge. Why? Because it was the longing, it was the longing and the looking and the expectation of every Hebrew person was that there would come a Messiah. And it was huge. It was, it was a big deal. And what, we, and what we find here is that Matthew says that, yeah, this, this is the kind of God that shows up on the backside of hillsides in the middle of the night. You say, that's where I'm at. I'm in an obscure place in my life, and it's dark. Well, great. Because you are a great candidate for the light of Jesus to be shined in your darkness. Hallelujah. Obscure places. Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, that's that little, yeah, that little city. The, the, it was a big-time city one time. But it's a little town now. And these were peasants. Now, the, you know, Jesus didn't, the angels didn't come to declare this in the halls of Herod. No, they would find that. Herod would find out later through somebody else. No, they come, God shows up to ordinary people in obscure places and he comes with a message. And notice here, when he comes with a message, it's good news. And there's, all, there's joy. There's great joy with this message. Why? Because somebody is entering this world that is going to rock this world. Why? Because and you're going to see the reality that God is near. He's near. That's the shepherd's encounter. Well, there's another encounter that we have in the Scripture. And the encounter with the wise men. They have a wise men encounter. They encounter the Savior. But it's different. Now, I, I take great comfort in, in, in looking at the full orb of this because I want you to think about this. These shepherds... Were they prepared for Jesus? They had no gifts to bring. And, the, and they wouldn't wonder. They, they, were not, they, were dressed, they were dressed in what they had. Okay? It was not, I mean, you think about it. They had to go see, and it wasn't, they had really no time to prepare themselves other than to make haste and go. I love what the King James says. King James says to make haste with zeal. They, they made haste to where... They found Christ. And they found him just like the angel said. You know, he was, he, he was in, this, in this state. They were in this stable. And there was busy time there in, in Bethlehem. It was a big deal. There was no rooms. None. You know, it wasn't like there was an Econo Lodge down the road. I mean, they, they stayed in, in, a, in, in a... There was a little stable there that... that had animals in it and it smelled like one too you get the picture 
wise men encounter, the wise men encounter is a little different. Luke, Luke goes into this because what we see here is these are people from faraway places. They're not even, they're, they're not even folks that would necessarily, they were Jewish. Many, many perhaps were, uh, had some Jewish ancestry. But they were called the Magi or the wise men. And, and history says that there was, or at least legend says that there was three. And there's really no, there was probably more than that. And Luke says that these men were 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 people who were we would we would the only thing I could equate these kings or these three wise men or these wise men I should say with is is that they were very learned they were priestly they were probably from a priestly tribe they were not magic, magicians as some people might think. But they studied the stars, they studied the heavens, and they studied ancient prophecies. And these were men of learning. This would have been the equivalent of men who, who were, were, were priestly and learned. Now they were preparing years in advance. I mean, they observed the constellations. They observed the places in the sky. And they had heard the prophecies. And, and, and they were beginning to put two and two together. And these men traveled a long distance away, far away from, from Bethlehem. Middle East. And there to Bethlehem. There because of a star. And Luke tells us this, Luke, and I want you to go over there. And what I, I want you to notice here again is you say, Greg, you keep talking about this history thing. I like the warm, fuzzy Christmas stories. I get it. Chris, or the, 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 you don't get a whole lot of warm, hist or warm fuzzies out of history, do you? But I want to tell you, when you get the history and the truth of it, and then you begin to look at the implications, it will, it will, it will, not only rock your world, it will anchor your heart down in something bigger than yourself. And that's what we see here in Luke. And, and Luke is, is, by the way, Luke is a physician. He's a man who practiced medicine. He is a meticulous historian. This guy was a guy, if you, had a, if you were going for a surgery back in those days... This would have been the guy that you wanted working on you because this guy was attentive to details. Very detailed. And the history that, that Luke writes is a very, very distinct and succinct account of Jesus and his birth. And um, wait a minute. Matthew, I got, I, I'm, I'm all messed up, aren't I? It is Matthew that accounts the visitors from the east, the kingly gospel. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 2. Now I want you to look at this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And Matthew's, by the way, uh, is very distinct in his history as well. About the time some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose. And we come to worship him. Now listen, they were prepared. The shepherds weren't prepared, were they? Couldn't be. They were just they had just heard the announcement. We've seen his star. 
They were prepared. Notice here, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers and religious leaders and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet spoke. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, and not least among the ruling cities of Judah, where a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star appeared. And then he told them, go to, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may um, go and worship him too. And the, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled. Oh, here it is again. They were filled with joy. Don't miss that. Their anticipation, all of their hard work, all of the things of their observation. These were men of observation. They were men of science. They were men of learning. They were priestly people as well. Everything, their expectation, they were filled with joy. Why? Because they saw the king. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Notice this time, there's months have, have come to pass. They're now at a house. They see, uh, and they saw the child with the mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God warned them in a dream, not to return to Herod. Oh, this is a different wise men. Men of science coming to Christ. And what did they find? They found, they found the Christ, the King. He comes in the kingly lineage and now... Those who are the maker of kings are coming to visit him. And they are not only coming to visit him, they are coming to worship. Goes together. That's why we need to rejoice. Rejoice, the Lord is near. What did the shepherds, what did the angels do? Well, heaven shouted. There was glory and there was glory of God and appeared. And there was, there was praises to God. By the heavenly host. And then the shepherds praised God with great joy. He said, the angel said, good tidings. I'm bringing great joy. And now the wise men, they come. And they come and their hearts are filled with great joy. You get in the picture? No matter where you are, whether you're on the backside of a Judean hillside. Or whether you're coming from a faraway place. And you're coming from a different walk of life, far away, maybe not even within the realm of, of, of Judaism, as they would say. These, were, these would have been Gentile people. They were, coming, it was, they were coming to the king. There was one central person that, that is the very source and the very foundation of joy. And it's Jesus. Don't miss that this Christmas. Now, are you ready for him? You know, if we lived as Jesus were near, by the way, he is coming again. 
if we live with an idea of His nearness. Jesus is near. You know, He's near right here. He's near here. He's near in our hearts. He's near in our lives. He's near in history. And God is saying, if you want the reality of joy, then the common thread is Jesus. The common thread is Jesus. Joy rests in Jesus. God comes near to us in human person. He, notice this. He meets the deepest needs in the human condition and the longings of the human heart. Jesus. Now I confuse this sometimes because I, I, I get easily confused with, with joy and happiness. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that make me happy. And a lot of times we live for things that, that and happiness is, is really, those are kind of temporal things and those are conditional on circumstances so often. But there, there is something down here in joy that is a deep gladness of the heart that you know that no matter what's going on surface level in your life, there are some anchors in your heart and your soul of joy that rests in the eternal. And only you know that if that's there. But I'll tell you how it's there. It's there when we trust Christ. When we confess our sins, we trust Him as Savior and Lord. We invite Christ into our lives. Many has received him, they, he gave us the power to become the sons of God. So I want to give you a little acrostic for joy. This is out of Philippians, and I'm going to close with this. Joy is this. Joy centers in the person of Christ. Joy is in the nearness of Christ. Joy is in the nearness of Christ. J. Joy is the nearness of Christ. It's the nearness. How near is He? Well, He's near enough that He showed up in human history and He's near enough that God said, He told, you know, His disciples said, you know, Jesus, why don't you just show us the Father? He said, you're, you're looking. You know, you're, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. I mean, how, I mean, you, you know, how, how close? And then He says He's coming to abide in our lives. Through the power of His Spirit. Joy in the nearness of Jesus. You know, you've got to take some time. And this is a lot of effort, I know. Because our busy lives demand so many things to capture our attention. People, things, the busyness of schedules, all kinds of things. But joy is recognizing the nearness of Christ. Now, I just want to ask you, what if, what if you, what if you were to, to begin to have that awareness? What, what could happen in your life? If you begin to have the awareness of Jesus, the awareness of Jesus coming to you. Well, obviously, if you have that awareness, you're going to be more, more likely not to sin, aren't you? If, you, if you're aware that Jesus is there with you and you're, you're, you're 
you know, you're, you're thinking of sin in your life or something that you know that's drawing you away from God, and you just say, okay, Lord, yeah, okay. When you're aware of Jesus, I mean, I, I think it would just call, call us to be to greater holiness in our lives. His, his way is a way of, of holiness. It's a way that is holy before the Lord. I mean, how about our thoughts? How, how about the thoughts? How about the words? The nearness of God. Joy begins, notice here, in the nearness of Christ. And, and here's what I would do. If, I, if you're dealing with some, some dark place in your life, Lord's already shined the light on it. We, we, we avoid it at times. It's uncomfortable. The light makes you uncomfortable. But just say, Lord, be near it and clean it up. And walk in my heart and through my life and through my words and through my actions. And even in my motions, I give these for you to cleanse by the power of your, of, of your blood and the power of your life because in you is joy. O is number two. O is, is this one. O it operates in, uh, in a gentleness toward others as unto Christ. Now notice here. It's a, again, a lot like love. So joy, is, joy lived out works itself out in gentleness toward others as unto Christ. That's what Philippians basically says. He says, listen, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. As a matter of fact, he says it this way. The Lord is at hand. If you knew the Lord was coming back at a certain day, at a certain time, and a certain hour, would you not be ready? Don't you know that the Lord is at hand? Now. Now He is. So you begin to live like He is near. The the coming of Christ, you begin to live like He is near. So all of a sudden, joy centers around the person. Notice I didn't say a thing. It's not about your circumstances. It's not about how, how you failed. It's not about how good you are. It's not about any of that. It is in a person. It is in a person and a personal relationship with that person. And then all of a sudden, the, in, the, the, the foundation of life of joy comes forward because of Christ. And then it operates in gentleness. And here's why. Here's the why. Yields all things to Christ in prayer. That's why Paul said in Philippians, he said it this way. He says, pray about all things. He said, just pray. Pray about it. Rejoice in the Lord always. For the Lord is near. Matter of fact, Paul says it even more distinctly. He is at hand. Meaning that Paul had one eye on life down here and one eye toward the eastern sky. As sure as you're sitting here this morning or listening, Just as there was the first coming, there will be a second. Why? Because God has not given up on His world. And He will come. 
as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have the distinct privilege as shepherds, as priests like the wise men, we have the distinct privilege to consecrate Him in the, as King of our heart and King of our lives. And we get to join in with the praises of angels. Why? Because there's good news, there's good tidings, and there's great joy in Jesus. That's the message of Christmas. You believe it? Let's bow our heads together. Jesus loves you. Are you convinced? He does. He loves you. And He desires you to know Him. To know, you, to know Him as Savior and Lord. Have you trusted Him? And are you trusting Him? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Our lives. Our hearts. The reality of who we are. I want to ask you this morning, do you know Christ? Do you know Him as Savior and Lord? Are you fully trusting in Him? Is He your very life? The good news is you can know Him. You can know Him as Savior and Lord. You can pray and receive Him. You know what? That's the best Christmas gift that you can know is the gift of, his, of Christ living in your heart. Father, we thank You that You are the very Christ and You bid us to come I pray we, we, we would not allow the enemy to rob us of the joy that comes in knowing you. But help us to come like the shepherds and as wise men to you and worship. And I pray that it, you would prepare our hearts as we prepare to receive the Lord's table. We ask in the name of Christ.